0: Wow! Um, to begin with, I would like to thank the committee. They have done an awesome, awesome job. And I would like to thank Zan. You know, my husband and I have been going to the end of the year roundup for 15 years, and this is the first time I've made it to the she thing. It's she thing. It um, seems like there's always something else going on, but I am so honored and so humbled to be here, to, to, you know, to see all you beautiful women. When I came in here, when I went to meetings, there were no women. And, um, and I didn't have much use for them, so I was okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're all so, so important to me. Then, uh, at the end of the year roundup, she came up to me and she said, Do you remember that you said that you would speak God the she-thing? I said, that was three years before, right? (laughs) Because I couldn't come the next year. And I said, no, I have no memory of that. (laughs) (laughs) So here I am because I have been taught not to say no. I figure God knows where he wants me and that's where I'm going to show up. I, um, gosh, my sobriety date is July 10th, 1982. and My home group is a ready and willing group, and I want to thank these ladies for coming and supporting me. They're just awesome. You know, I really need them to keep me in line. (laughs) And I want to thank my daughter. This is the first time she's come to Uh, any convention or anything with me. And I said, hey, you want to go? She says, yeah, I'd love to. Well, I never asked her before either, so. (laughs) And I'm so grateful for my daughter. She turned 12 the day after I quit drinking. Um, Okay, what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. Before I even start, I want to say I am so grateful for the grace of God. And I love AA. And I believe there's three parts to this program and that is fellowship and that's what grabs us and that's what keeps us here long enough till we can get a sponsor or, or to get a sponsor <laughs> and to work these steps, which is a program. And then I believe there's a fellowship of the spirit. When we start standing in the sunlight at last and it says in page 164, that we will be, be in the fellowship of the Spirit. And that's through working those steps. Um, what it used to be like, I was raised in an alcoholic family and both my parents were alcoholic. And you know, in the beginning, their name was Jack and Jewel and they called them Jack and Jill. And they were the life of the party. Everybody loved Jack and Jill. And there was a lot of dancing. There was a lot of laughter but nobody could see what happened after they came home. And you know, we would go with them sometimes and we'd sit out in the car while they were in the bar and watch them kick the drunks out and <laughs> be a little scared and hide. And anyway, um, then they would leave us home when we got old enough. There were seven of us kids, I was the second oldest. And, I remember many a nights I would cry all night because they didn't make it home and I was afraid they'd been in a wreck or something. And I said, I will never, ever treat my kids like that. I will never drink. I'm standing up here, <laughs> something happened. <laughs> anyway, you know, there was just the crazy stuff. My, my parents, they were not abusive physically. But there was certainly the the, uh, mental abuse. And then at the end, my dad, I believe if we drink drink long enough, that we will become physically abusive. Because at the very end of mine, I was not pretty. And my dad um, got pretty abusive. And one time he had uh, shot the gun up in the neighborhood. I was already out of the house and married. But um, my mother called me and she said, "Daddy was going to kill her." So I go over to the house and I take his guns, I throw them out in the yard, and I break them. And <laughs> and he um, was really pissed at me and chased me out. And he tore the antenna off the car and tried to hit me with it. Well, he was such a toothpick at that time, you know. He was because of his drinking; he had just deteriorated so bad. I could have pushed him over. But anyway, um, I had to go to court and. I had to pick my parents up and take them to court because Daddy was brought up on charges. And he kept saying to me all the way there, he says, all you gotta do is lie, all you gotta do is lie. (laughs) And I couldn't. And, you know, my dad died in my heart that day. I got up there and he just so blatantly, you know, lied and I told the truth. And Anyway, that was just one of the incidents. And I won't go into the stories because I like to get into the recovery. And, but I will say, there was a period of time my parents never did find sobriety. But there was a period of time when my mother had gone to treatment like five times and she had strokes to the liver. And they told her that if she didn't quit drinking, she would die because her liver was shot. So, us kids were afraid for mother to come home and daddy was still there. So, we decided to have him committed. Well, back in those days, that wasn't that easy, and they went to the state hospital. There wasn't the treatment centers, and we had to prove that he was incompetent. And I got the uh, doctor to follow. I called him, and he followed him to see that he was pretty incompetent. So he signed off on the papers, and they went. The sheriff went and picked him up and took him down to state hospital. Now, my dad <coughs> left that state hospital. My mother came home and she was afraid that she was going to die. And she quit drinking for about two years. And my dad quit drinking for about two years because he was going to prove to us he was not an alcoholic. And it was miserable. So what I learned from that was, some way, somehow, I had to figure out how to drink and not have blackouts and end up wherever I ended up. Because not to drink was miserable. So I married an alcoholic, imagine that. And I had four beautiful children. And I was married for 15 years. And you know, when I married that man, well, I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> I, was, uh, I didn't drink much because I wasn't ever going to drink. But the first time I drank was a sophomore in high school. And there was the college girls that would come and work in our town. I grew up in the mountain uh, town in Colorado. And they would come and work for the summer. And I went out the lake with them. We went water skiing. But the night before, they started drinking. Well, guess what? Had to fit in, right? So I had a drink. And let me tell you, I had always felt very uh, shy. And I felt like I was outside looking in. People were talking about me. I couldn't talk. I could talk. I felt as good as those college girls. And I was, man, I was all right. Well, the next, I had a blackout that night, and the next morning I got up and everybody was pissed at me. And they said that I was, this tells you the age, that uh, the last thing I remember was reading a Mad Magazine upside down. And they were pissed at me because I would not put my cigarette out and go to bed. Now, I didn't drink, but a couple of times after that. And one time, I was turning 18, and it was I was senior in high school, and uh, me and another gal was turning 18, and two days before my 18th birthday, we celebrated our birthday, and I had slow gin. And the next morning I got up and I was really, really sick. And my mother, um, I had been the doctor and they said I had appendicitis before. And uh, that probably wasn't what was the matter, who knows if my appendix were bad or not. But anyway, and so she's taking me to the doctor and I said, okay, but I am not going to the hospital to get my appendix out. She said, okay, well I got there, they put me in the hospital. On my 18th birthday, they took my appendix out, and I do not remember my 18th birthday. But I was three months pregnant, and I had no idea. Now, you know, when you have problems like that, when you drink, you might think about not drinking. (laughs) I was pretty naive, and I did marry that man. And I didn't love him, but I felt very grateful that somebody loved me enough to want to marry me. And, I, you know, and I was sure I could make that marriage work, but he was alcoholic, too. And our drinking, <clears throat> our drinking, my drinking progressed, his progressed, my parents progressed. And I could always see how bad they were, not as bad as how bad I was. But I saw that we were kind of following in mother, dad, mother and daddy's footprints. So I decided to get a divorce. Well, that might not have been the problem. <laughs> and anyway, the, you know, it was pretty awful. He didn't think I'd leave him, and I did. And uh, I had started working, so I found out I wasn't stupid, because I'd already got that message, too, that I was stupid. My brother said to me, he was younger than me, and he says, thank God somebody married you. Now you've got somebody to take care of you. <laughs> so anyway, I, I went ahead, and I got a divorce. And that small town was too small for, for me and him. And so two years later, I left there. And a lot of times you'll hear me say, what a blessing. <laughs> because when I left there, I didn't have all the enablers I had in that small town that would <clears throat> take me home whenever I got drunk. <clears throat> and so I went to a town where nobody knew me. And I got a job in the grocery business because that's what I did. And pretty soon, and I was going, that was my geographic. You know, I wasn't going to uh, drink anymore and going to change my life. And my two younger kids went with me and the two older ones stayed with their dad. Now he was the lesser of the two evils because I was a blackout drunk. And he seemed to be like a maintenance drinker. And uh, anyway, so I left there and went to this small town and took my kids, and pretty soon I was in the same place I was before. Every night I was in a bar, and I got a job in the grocery business. And it was a man's world, you know, women didn't get, women were checkers, and that was it. Well, I was, I had gotten to work my way up and was assistant manager in my little town in Granby. And so when I transferred, or did, I didn't transfer, I went to a new place, I tried to find a job and they to- kept telling me I was too overqualified. They couldn't afford me. So I said, you know, I'm working for nothing. I'll take anything. So they started me out, but I did advance pretty quickly and pretty soon I was <clears throat> up in, I was managing a night crew. And, and uh, anyway, so they transferred me. And they transferred me to this little town in Colorado, Buena Vista. And I I need to back up just a little bit, tell what happened to my parents. I had given my notice at the store that I was going to move, and I'd already made the decision to move. And my dad... um, Set fire to the house. My mother was at my house washing, and he burnt in that fire. And he'd been on a three month drunk. And so the people didn't think I'd leave because my mother and I were pretty close. And I still left. I still was going to leave, so I left. And 20 months later, my mother died from thrust of the liver and busted blood vessels. She literally bled to death. And you know, when they called me, I had already moved, and they called me and told me, and they said I needed to get down there because she probably wouldn't make it through the night. And I was already at the bar, so I stayed at the bar the rest of the night. And my mother did not die that night, and it was a very long, agonizing death. But you know what I told myself? I was just drinking beer. I wasn't going to die like that. And I would go see her, but I, would, I always had my beer in the car because I couldn't wait till I got home. You know, I just had to have that. And I managed to keep working. I was a workaholic. I hated to have two days off in a row because then I'd really get drunk and it was hard to get to work. But so anyway, my, so my mother died and in March. And on New Year's Eve in 1981, my sister had hitchhiked out from California, and she was alcoholic also, when my mother died, and so she was staying with me. And um, so she came. I got off work at noon, and I got in a case of beer. Now, I'd had several little wrecks, and they kind of kept getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> and so I knew I was not safe on the road, so I was drinking at home. And so I got a case of beer. I went home at noon, and my sister came by. I was already a blackout when she came by. And she wanted me to bring in the new year. So I guess we went. We went to one bar. And then there was a bar next to the store where I was assistant manager. I had gotten transferred to this little store. They had nine stores. And I had a big LTD station wagon. And my sister was even driving that night. But we went in, and I had one beer and went outside, and I um, got in my car. She was telling everybody bye. And I hit a car, and I drove through the store where I was assistant manager. I backed out. I hit that car again, and I drove across the highway, and I hit the gas pumps at 7-Eleven. And I set my car and the gas pumps on fire. They didn't think I was drunk. I walked across the street, on the other side, I guess, and the only thing I remember that night was seeing glass shatter, seeing my car burn, and and screaming, let me die whenever they put me in the ambulance. They said it took several people to pry my arms off that steering wheel because I was just screaming, let me die. And uh, they took me then to do a a blood alcohol and uh, to the doctor to check me out. And I had strep throat. Uh, no, you know, just bruises, nothing broke. And my sister convinced them I was under a lot of stress. So they let me go home with her <clears throat> to my house. <laughs> and her and her boyfriend took me home. And I remember waking up the next morning and I remembered those flashes of what had happened. And I said, oh, God, if there's any help out there, I want it. I had never heard about AA. So I called mental health, and I called drug and alcohol abuse, and I made an appointment. But I'll tell you what happened. Whenever I first got up that morning, and I realized what had happened, my sister, I was on the, stayed on the couch, and my sister's boyfriend came out of the bedroom, and, he, and I was going to the refrigerator. And he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm I'm getting a beer. I said, I have to quit tomorrow. (laughs) So they didn't fire me from that store because the arresting officer said that he thought that uh, I must have a nervous breakdown or something because he didn't think I was drunk. So they waited for my blood alcohol to come back before they determined what they were going to do with me and my blood alcohol was 3.5. Now, I drank every day, and I had a blackout most nights, so I had a pretty high tolerance by then. But, you know, sometimes all it would take was two beers and I'd be in a blackout, and that's the power of this disease. I left my kids a lot of nights, and there wasn't anybody in that town that'd take care of them. And, you know, my daughter's here tonight, There was one night when my son called and he said, he says, Mom, he says, Carol's really sick. He says, Can you come home? And she had been sick and I took her to the doctor and they gave her penicillin. She's allergic to penicillin. I didn't know that, but I didn't go home. I'm very grateful she's here today because she could have died. You know, I saw an advertisement once and it said, I would die for my kids but I could not quit drinking for them. And I I also say that I had four kids and I remember the oldest ones when they were younger and the younger ones when they were older and I missed a lot of years. But I'm so grateful I've been making up for that since. But anyway, back to the story. So that was what got me started into some kind of recovery. And I I thought I would never drink again and so for six months I went to meetings, uh, to outpatient meetings, and I saw a psychiatrist. And psychiatrists just want you to know, want to know what you want out of life. <laughs> at least the counselor did address my drinking. <laughs> and so after six months, you know, I only missed meetings for two weeks, and I was drinking again, and I missed them because of a man, of course. And <laughs> Anyway, and I started drinking, and in five days, I realized I couldn't quit. And I called my counselor, and I said, I'm drinking, and I don't want to drink. And he, he called my, uh, my boss. They demoted me, by the way. They didn't fire me. They demoted me, took my bonus away, were making an example of me. <laughs> and this was a small town. I had made the front page of the paper and the radio. <laughs> I was famous. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, my, and they said, if we even see you buying a beer, you will be fired. And so when I started drinking, I drove about 27 miles or, to uh, get my beer, or farther if I had to. And so when they say to go to any lengths, that's how far I went to go to meetings, too. <laughs> so anyway, and he called my boss, and he said, you know, I really think Jackie needs to go to treatment. And my boss said, is she drinking? And he says, well, she will be if she doesn't go to drink and go to treatment. So that I went to treatment, and you know sometimes you hear a lot about treatment, but that saved my life because that introduced me to you. And they brought the treatment center I went to was very AA oriented. The people that worked there had to sign a contract to <clears throat> go to two outside AA meetings a week. And they took us to outside AA meetings. But I remember there was about there was about, I mean, it seemed like 50. There was probably 10, but it seemed like 50. <laughs> People came in with AA and brought a meeting in, and I remember the laughter, I remember the love, and I remember the welcome that I had. And that's the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what grabbed me, even though I didn't stay at that time. <clears throat> I. Uh, Anyway, I I left that treatment center, and we worked through the first three steps. And I just knew I would not drink again. I mean, I was high. You know how it is when you first get sober, you're just high high on life. And so I left there, and I went to my first AA meeting in this little town, Buena Vista, and there was two old men in there. My heart just kind of went thud. Is this all there is? And then I had the thought, I'll just go to these meetings and just bring some joy into these guys' lives. <laughs> and I didn't have to work the steps. So I wasn't that bad either. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes there'd be a few more and sometimes not. So I had six months sobriety, and this one guy in there had been the GSR's secretary treasurer for years. And he was tired of it. So they gave me this black briefcase and they made me Secretary Treasurer and GSR. <laughs> Six months over. <clears throat> so what happened was a month later I started drinking again. <laughs> and, but that black briefcase had to get to the meeting. And when I went back out the last time, uh, when I relapsed after they made me GSR, I, I uh, will never forget taking that first drink, <clears throat> and it's like I had planned it because I was a blackout drinker, I knew I wasn't safe on the road, so I got somebody to take care of me, he said he'd get me home, I just wanted to get drunk one more time, I was so miserable, and so I, w- I remember sitting in that bar, and I had that beer in front of me, and it seemed like minutes, and it was seconds. And I took that first drink, and I'll never forget the effect of that, and I pray to God I never do forget it. Because it's like, all of a sudden, everything was okay. There was that warmth. And I said to myself, I will just drink until I make manager. And once I make manager, I can get off early every night, and I don't have to fight to go to meetings. And that made sense. I say that's alcoholic. <laughs> well, every night I got drunk, every morning I was going to quit. And that lasted five months. And my, um, um, my kids left. I was alone for the first time in my life. And my daughter called and she said, have you quit drinking yet?" And I said, "No, but I will before you come home." And she said, "Mom, I'll love you anyway." And I don't know why those words hit me, but they hit me, and I realized then I needed to quit drinking for me. And I uh, went to, um, back to the outpatient program and went back to the meetings, and I started taking abuse. Back then, they give you abuse a lot. <laughs> and, Two weeks later was when I took my last drink, and that was July 10, 1982. I... And I'll tell you that experience. I left a meeting. I've been on high doses of Anbuse. They give you like 500 milligrams a day, so they really get it in your system for two weeks. And it had been two weeks, and I left a meeting, and I was so depressed, and I said, there is no hope for me. In the big book it says, there are those unfortunates. And I said, I am one of those unfortunates, I'm gonna die drunk. And I went and got a six pack, and I went home and I started drinking it. I was on the third beer and thought I was gonna die. My heart was beating so fast, I saw stars, I couldn't even stand up. And somebody came by and dumped out the other three. And the next morning when I got up, I realized I would have drank those other three even knowing I was going to die. And I knew deep in my soul I was powerless over alcohol. And that morning, I said, God, God, please, please help me. I do not want to die. And that's why I made that decision to live. And I came back in here. There were still no women in the meetings. I finally found a lady in the neighboring uh, town, and she had five years sobriety. And I asked her to be my sponsor. And she committed suicide right after that. And I want to say it was not because I asked her to be my sponsor. <laughs> so I, there was a guy who came up, and he was taking meetings out to prison. And he um, asked if I wanted to go out to a meeting in the prison. So I said, well, sure. You know, I was trying to go to as many meetings as I could. There was only one in that small town. And so I went I remember the first time I went out there. <clears throat> And I thought I was just going to go out to a meeting, sit there, because that's what I was doing. And they called me up to a podium like this. And I tell you, I thought I was going to die. I had the same physical effects at that podium as I did drinking on (laughs) anabuse. I thought I was going to pass out. I saw stars. My heart was going like that. (laughs) But I want to tell you something. Those guys helped me a lot. I went to meetings a lot out there. And that was when women go into the men's meeting. And that AA would take a group in there. What I realized was I was afraid those guys wouldn't accept me. That's how low I was. You know, I just just wanted people to love me. And so I asked the AA coordinator that was coming up to our meetings if he would be my sponsor. Well... (laughs) You know, he had 17 years sobriety, but he didn't know a lot about relationships. He did know the book. And, of course, I ended up doing what I do. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And uh, But I would not be alive today without that man. So I'm very grateful for that. So when I had a year of sobriety, by the way, I was telling you I had that black briefcase. Well, I had to get that that to the meeting in those five months that I drank. So when I couldn't find somebody to take that to a meeting, I had to get that black, black briefcase there. And so it kept me plugged into the meeting. And then I drank afterwards. So when I went back, they wanted me to continue being GSR Secretary Treasurer. <laughs> Let me tell you, service work really works. <laughs> so. I went to my first assembly. I had a year of sobriety, and <clears throat> and there was—I um, thought I was hot stuff, right? <laughs> I still wasn't working a very good program. I mean, I kind of Mickey Mouse it, but anyway, with a man, you just don't do a very good job. <laughs> and I kept running into this guy, and he kept running into me, and he says, "I looked lost and like I needed a hug." So, so, anyway, he looked me up before he left, and we just exchanged phone numbers, and, and uh, two months later, I uh, was going to the state convention in Denver, and I called him, and, and I said, uh, he wasn't going to go, and I said, well, are you going to go? And he said, well, I think I'll go. So, I want you to know, I'm still married, to th- I'm married to that man today. <laughs> and we had a long-distance relationship, thank God, or we would have pissed it away. <laughs> and we were both working on ourselves at that time. So let me see, you know, it's been a while since I've, I've told my story and um, anyway, we, um, I was still living in Colorado, we had the long-distance relationship, and then he decided to move down to New Mexico. And in, in reality, I, he lived in northern Colorado, I lived in southern Colorado, so we you know, would travel back and forth to see each other. And so he wanted, enough, I wanted to move down there to be closer to him. So I said, OK, but I'm not living with you. I got two teenagers at home. And they were with their dad. And so he said, Well, just go check it out. So I went down there. And of course, I was going to work and, and live with somebody else, and you know, I was going to live with him. And, uh, then I, my kids weren't there, so he ended up, that was really funny, because he went down to buy a house, and the deal fell through, and he stopped at my house in Salida and picked up a thrifty nickel. And he saw this place advertised, and so he goes back the next day, and he bought this house. hadn't been lived in, in two years. The roof, it, it rained outside, it rained inside. It was pretty bad. <laughs> And so that was whenever he wanted to know if I wanted to move down there with him. So I said, well, I'll just stay with you for a little while until the kids get there. And I went in there and, oh my God, there were spiders and wasps inside. And I remember the first night we were down there and I thought, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) And the kids came down in the end of the summer and and Tony, my, my son, He cried all night long and he just did not want to stay there. And I said, Honey, I said, just stay one semester. And if you want to go back, you can go back and live with your dad. And because the other two other boys lived with him. And uh, so he stayed. And he said to me later, you know, that uh, he was so grateful that I had made him stay because he learned more in that short period of time. He was a freshman in high school, and Carol was a sophomore, and there was 1% Anglo in that school. And they, I think they got a lesson much more than what the school books taught them. <laughs> and <clears throat> so anyway, they ended up being, you know, pretty popular. Carol was six foot one, basketball player. She was taller than anybody. And Tony convinced him he was really smart, and he became class secretary, or vice president, I mean. <laughs> so... So, you know, they did okay, and they learned a lot, and we had a wonderful time. I loved New Mexico. New relationship, new sobriety. We were two years old. I was two years sobriety when we moved down there. And we were old timers. <laughs> <laughs> in this small town, there was no meetings, and we ended up starting a meeting. And I ended up, start- I worked in a detox halfway house, and outpatient, and I loved it. And I became the halfway house coordinator. Knew nothing about it. But, you know, I I learned how you guys teach me how to ask for help. And I, around the state, you know, I would talk to the people that had successful halfway houses and what they did and they helped me. And ours was very reputable. And we had, uh, Tony graduated from Buena Vista and he moved to California with his brothers and they were all out there very successful. And uh, Carol graduated there. And everybody came out. You know, my grandfather had been a school teacher, and uh, he taught all the classes, you know, in one school. And So high school graduations were a big deal in my family. You never heard about college, but high school, that was it. And <clears throat> we lived in this. It was a small town in rural New Mexico up in the mountains. And anyway, everybody came down for Carol's graduation. And they hadn't all come down for Tony's. but. Um, Anyway, it was just really a big deal. We roasted a pig, and and it was just really awesome. And uh, the next day, everybody was leaving. And Carol and her brothers had gone down to the airport, and Tony was going to Colorado for a graduation. I get a phone call, and they said, there's been an accident and that there'll be a policeman there to talk to you. Now, all my kids were on the road. I didn't know who had been in the accident, and they didn't tell me. And nobody ever showed up. And I worked with a lady whose husband was a chief of police, and I called her, and I said, Maxine, I said, there's been an accident, and I, I don't know what's happened. And so she was trying to find out. And it was a real grandson, the paper, that called me. I wanted to know the details of the accident. And my son Tony had been killed. And you know, I said, I went from the happiest day of my life to the worst day of my life. My Carol graduated. All my kids were doing good. She was getting ready to go to modeling school at the time. And, and the next day, Tony died, and that was the worst day of my life. I hurt so bad. I thought that pain would never, never go away. Now I kept going to meetings, I didn't have a sponsor. And I leaned into that, uh, those meetings, and, and the people from AA just put their arms around me and just hugged me, and just carried me. And I was seeing a counselor, and uh, a grief counselor. And she suggested, Elizabeth Kubera's had started this uh, hospice program in northern New Mexico, and she suggested I start taking some of those classes to help me deal with my grief. So I signed up, and I was in my, the class, and, and we had to go around and tell why we were there. So I told them why I was there, and there was another lady there, and, and she said that she was in the program. I didn't know she was in the program. She didn't know I was in the program. And she said her sponsor had said to her one time, I want you to think of the worst thing that, that could happen to you and times it by 10, and no, you don't have to drink. And she said the one thing that she thought of was her daughter. Something would happen to her daughter. And she said, here she saw me, and I uh, wasn't drinking, and I had lost my son. And this was almost a year after he died, still in a lot of pain. So anyway, we were talking afterwards, and she had like 17, or seven years of sobriety. And I asked her to be my sponsor. And Mary Thayer is still my sponsor today. It's been 30 years. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful for Skype. <laughs> Because we still meet once a week on Skype, but um, the neat thing is, is that uh, my husband had been an airline pilot, and he had gone out on disability because of his drinking, and so he and then he had an accident when he was supposed to go back and get his ticket. He had an accident that impacted the top of his head on the windshield. And So when he went back for his physical, they, he, they found brain damage, but it was only temporary. So after, after uh, he was in the process actually of trying to go back to flying, and, uh, and I was really grateful that he didn't at that time, because I'm not sure our marriage would have survived it. But a year later, you know, he decided to start, you know, try to see if he could take it back, and he did. And, uh, so he went, he, became, he was an airline pilot and uh, worked for Continental at the time. So, you know, I continued to work on my grief and, and to go to those hospice classes. And uh, I was still working, but I lost my passion for counseling. It was like I just didn't have the, the compassion that I had had before. And uh, I, I needed to heal myself. So I quit. I took a year off and never found it necessary to go back. <laughs> and and they went back to flying, and that was just, that was a whole new world, you know, a whole new world. It was just beyond my wildest dreams. And uh, today, you know, one of the reasons why I can still have my sponsor is because he was with Continental for over 25 years, so we get to fly for free. So, you know... Um, but I want to tell you, um, I'll skip ahead. Um, he wanted to, he always wanted to move to the Pacific Northwest. And we lived in this beautiful place in northern New Mexico, perfect place. And uh, anyway, I said, he came home off of, off of a trip. And he said, uh, um, he, he was still talking about it. And I said, well, let's do it before we get too old. Well, <laughs> he immediately gets the map out draws a circle around Seattle and a circle around Portland because he had to be pretty near airport. And we came up here and we came out to the coast and he um, uh, we didn't find any place we were headed back and we stopped in Kathlamet and there was this road and he said well let's go up here. So we did and there was a place there, a fixer upper like we were looking for And there was a guy next door and he was a realtor and it was his wife's grandmother's place that she had just died. So anyway, it was kind of like what we were looking for. So we go back home and he decides to call make an offer. They accepted and things happen so fast. (laughs) That's how God works in our lives. You know, he takes us where he wants us. We ended up in a little town in northern New Mexico. Never heard of it. And it ended up being what a beautiful place. We started meetings up there, because there was no meetings there. And then we came out here to Kathlamet, lived there for 15 years, and got involved in AA. And um, then, yeah, sometimes I feel like I go all over the place, because there's so much. (laughs) But you know, when when Mary came into my life, my sponsor, she took me through these steps and I am so so grateful for her, because I was I really was getting ready to go into some behavior that probably would have taken me back out drinking. And she told she looked at me and she says, "Honey," she says, "I'd be the last one to tell you not to do that, but I want you to look at everything you've got, and if you're willing to get, to just let it all go, you go right ahead." Well, I looked at that and I realized my behavior had nothing to do with. Um, how much I love my husband, what it had to do with I hurt so bad, and I wanted something to fix that, it just hurt. And so she took me through those steps, and I always say she saved my life, and my husband says she saved our marriage. <laughs> so both. She, uh, I believe in these steps. I work these steps at least once a year, if not more. And uh, and I'm so grateful, grateful for the program. Because it continues to enrich my life. It continues to help me grow. And you know, I'm a seasoned beginner. And I'm here today and I'm one day sober. And I like to say that whenever I go to bed at night, tonight when I go to bed I'll probably be a recovering, al- I am a recovering alcoholic. I wake up in the morning, I'm an alcoholic, and I better do something to get into recovery. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, we moved out here to Washington, and uh, life, you know, it's so rich and it's so good. This program just gives us so much beyond our wildest dreams if we just do the best we can and, and see what God wants us to be and then do whatever it is that he wants us to be. We all have our gifts. We all have our journey. So I, we've been out here, I don't know, a while, several years, and living the dream. And uh, we have uh, nine grandkids, and we have a great grandson that just celebrated a year sobriety, a uh, year sobriety, year, your birthday, year sobriety too. <laughs> Anyway, in 2009, first I want to say, you know, I I told you that we'd go to the end of the year roundup. In 2005, I have a sister, and uh, she was in the program. And she always said I prayed her in, because she was the one that hitchhiked out there, you know, and she would drink my booze before I got off work. It pissed me off. (laughs) Anyway, she went back. to California, and then she got sick, she got lupus. But anyway, she went back to California, and uh, I kept praying that Kathy would get the program, because she went back to California, because I got sober. <laughs> and um, so I, I pray. and she called me one night, and she says, Jackie, guess what? She says, I found this place where I can go, and they don't care if I drink or not. <laughs> I forgot to be specific. So when you pray <laughs> for something, be specific. <laughs> So it took another six months for her to quit drinking. (laughs) But she did to get into recovery, which, what a blessing that was. And um, 2005, I was here at the end of the year roundup, Sunday morning in this room. And I get a call, and they said uh, that we're life-flighting your sister to Denver, and we don't think she'll make it. And she had lupus, and she had just gotten over having uh, lung cancer. And what happened was she got pneumonia. And so I didn't make it. Uh, they, she didn't make it to Denver. Every time they tried and put her up on the helicopter, she would code. And uh, I got to see her before they cremated her. And you know, it was what a blessing that was because she looked so peaceful and she had been in so much pain. So I had just had a whole weekend of meetings. And you know, uh, AA just saves my life over and over again. So in 2009, I was at a graduation in Virginia, uh, Virginia Beach, my niece, and I had gone to her uh, two sisters. And we just left the graduation, and I get a phone call. And it was my uh, ex daughter in law, and she said, Jackie, get home. I said, Don's been in an accident. So I, she said, they don't think he'll make it. It was his 45th birthday. I just talked to him that morning. And, you know, I went right to the airport and they couldn't get me out. Uh, they did get me out that night, but I had to spend the night in, in Newark at the airport. And I want to tell you, my, you know, my son had a, uh, there was a man who made a U turn and hit him. He was on a motorcycle and he was gone home. And his uh, kids and his girlfriend were giving him a birthday party. And the lady, there was a lady at the airport, and she saw me crying, and she came over and asked me if I was okay. She had lost a son on a motorcycle accident. Yeah, that's God. Whenever I got that phone call, I dropped my phone. It broke my phone. She let me use her phone. And so I made it back, but I didn't make it before he died. I, uh, yeah. Anyway, we went to his house and, and of course, started preparing. And and my husband and I knew we needed to get to a meeting. And so we looked online and and we went to this place where there was supposed to be a meeting. They had never had a meeting there. I get back home, you know, I don't have the energy to do anything, and I call my sponsor. She was in Maine, <laughs> and she said, have you been to a meeting? And I said, we went, but I said we couldn't find one. And she said, well, hang on. <laughs> she said, I'm, I'm going to call Mickey, Mickey M., and uh, he, he'll, he'll be able to call you and tell you where to go to a meeting. So she called Mickey and he called me and, and he told us what meetings to go to and my daughter took us and, and we went down there and everybody there put their arms around us and they hugged us and they held us. And I, when I got back home they would call and I had to make sure that we were okay or that I was okay. And it ended up, you know, when Tony died it really brought our family closer together because you know, we started having family reunions after that, and uh, when Don died, he had just gone through a very nasty divorce, and he had two kids, three and seven, three little, two little girls, and his wife didn't want me to be executor, and there was just a lot of court battles. I ended up staying in Denver for two months and, uh, to, to get things settled. And you know, again, I often say, you'll hear me say, what seems to be a horrible thing ends up being a blessing. Because I am so grateful for those two months I had there. Because we stayed at his house, and I was able to, you know, go through his stuff, and and, uh, just uh, very healing. It was very healing. And I would go out in the mornings, and I would read, and I would um, look at the mountains, and you know, as bad as, as I hurt, I knew that hurt, that pain would not last forever. And with Tony, I thought it would last forever. But i tell you what else ha- I had. I had enough of that, the sunlight of the spirit. And uh, that I had that joy in my heart. And I knew, I knew things would be OK. And, uh, Mickey called me and he said, you know, the Fellowship of the Spirit was up in the mountains and, and he had a friend in New York who was going to go but couldn't go, but he had paid for it. And he said, he said, would you guys like to go? I said, oh, you bet. <laughs> so we went up there and I saw Juanita and Tom were there Juanita Juanita just lost her mother. So she, she spent a lot of time with me. And my little brother had just gotten sober. And so he met us up there and we all went up there. And you know, when when I say we lean into the program and the program just surrounds its arms around us and it is huge because it went from Maine, New York, Denver, here, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And AA has carried me through so many times and so many things. So, anyway, we, the, the ones that were the victims in this that it just breaks my heart today is those two little girls, because the mother wouldn't let us see them. And I said, I will go to any lengths to have a relationship with my two granddaughters, because they lost their whole family, because my family was still pretty pissed at Kelly, and it, to this day, it won't have anything to do with her. And I would call her, and I would fake it, like you taught me. When I came in and I didn't believe in God, and I was, said, I was told to get down on your knees and pray and just fake it till you make it. And I did, and my God has been with me every, every minute of the time. And you know, I know I skipped some of that too, didn't I? <laughs> anyway. Um, So I would call to talk to the girls. And she said she would not keep them away from me. But she made no effort. And I want to tell you, I faked it. And today, I have no hard feelings against her at all. I really, really do love her. I did, like it says in the big book, I prayed for her. And and with the girls, I maybe don't have the relationship I wished I would have had. But I have a relationship with them, and I've been able to journey through the, with them, you know, on, through the school, and we, I see them several times a year. Well, after my son died in it was in June 15, 2009. And my husband and I had been going through a lot of financial problems. The market fell out and the stocks, and anyway, several things contributed to it. But in January 2010, we lost our house, we lost our car, we fought bankruptcy. So let me tell you, God's in charge, (laughs) and everything's going to be okay. And you know my husband and I knew everything was going to be okay. We just knew that. And it is. Today we have a new house, and it's in Kalama. I don't know what time is it. Thank you. Um, so anyway, ah, here we go again. <laughs> uh, I, uh, a year ago next month, I had, I had cancer in 1972. And they did a hysterectomy and that took care of it. And then five years ago, I had a sarcoma in my leg. And I've totally been watching that, you know, and, and a year ago when they did the MRI and the lung cancer, they saw something in my lung, and so they wanted to do a PET scan. They did a PET scan, and they found a sarcoma in my hip. And when I saw Zan at the end of the year, and she asked if I would speak, and I said, well, Zan, <clears throat> I just had a port put in, and I'm supposed to start chemotherapy the first, and I said... But if I'm walking, I'll be here. <laughs> and so, how, you know, it, it's just amazing. We never know what's going to happen. We just don't know. So I um, was all ready, and uh, they told me it was stage four cancer. And I was ready to do the chemotherapy. But the night before, I, I said, God, I said, you know, I'm not feeling good about this. It just doesn't feel right. And I said, but if this is what you want me to do, OK. And I had called and, to get a second opinion. And I was supposed to start the chemotherapy. And she says, you want to wait till you talk to the oncologist? And I said, yeah. And yeah, somebody else has had this oncologist. Anyway, she had told me about him. And I went in there. And he says, what do you know about your cancer? I said, just that it's rare. <laughs> And so he started telling me about it, and he said, chemotherapy really wouldn't help. And he said, probably these side effects that kill you before. So, I tell you, I came alive. (laughs) Thank you, God. (laughs) You know, cancer, I mean, it's everybody's, your own decision. And that was mine, and that was right for me. And I tell you, I have, have had three granddaughters graduate from college and I got to go to the graduations. And I've got to do a lot of things. But I want to tell you a gift that I got from that. My daughter was going to give me a surprise birthday party in February in Denver. And when she found out I was going to have chemotherapy, that was canceled. Well, it was back on. So we went in February and had that birthday party. And of course, my whole family, there was 49 people there, right? They probably thought they weren't going to see me again. (laughs) So everybody showed up all over Nebraska, everywhere. And in uh, March 27th, my younger brother died. Now, the whole family got to see him. It was very, he had a brain aneurysm. He was very healthy. He did yoga. He ate right did everything right and he's 10 years younger than me. It was three days before he would have celebrated 10 years sobriety in this program. I remember part of his story. He called me and he told me, now him and his, he had out out of body experience. I'm gonna tell you this because he's not here to tell you. (laughs) And when his two kids were younger and him and his wife were playing poker and drinking, And the two kids were sitting on the couch and he saw himself on the couch and mother and daddy playing poker. And he decided he wasn't going to do that to his kids. So they didn't drink for almost 25 years. And then they started having a little wine with dinner. And within two years, my brother was a full-fledged alcoholic. People did not know it because he would take it in his thermos to work. And his family thought he was going crazy. So he finally told his wife, now they were in Al-Anon all these years, and he told his wife and she left him. <laughs> I'm not even married to an alcoholic, you've been lying to me all these years. <laughs> and that was the best thing that could have happened, again, a blessing. And he, and so she moved down to Southern Colorado and she worked on herself in Al-Anon and he worked on himself in AA, and together they probably couldn't have done it. And and he called me, and he says, "Jackie, he says, I'm an alcoholic." And I says, "Oh, honey, I'm so happy for you." <laughs> he said, "Nobody said anything like that." <laughs> and I just, I know it's about time for me to wrap up, and I know you guys want to go home. It's been a long weekend. It's been a wonderful weekend. The speakers have been fantastic. I thank you guys so much. Laughter, I love the laughter. And um, anyway. My oldest granddaughter, my oldest, son's, uh, my oldest son's daughter, whenever she was born, they said they were gonna name her Marissa, but my, my son had, I mean, my husband had two daughters, and uh, they were gonna name their daughter Marissa, and they're only two days apart. They were born two days apart. I thought, that's really weird. So I go down there, and, and he keeps shoving this paper underneath my nose, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I had to get her a, a security number. He he said, Mom, look at it. I said, I want to see the baby. (laughs) And I looked at it and it says, and her name was Jacqueline Fay. I cried, what an honor to have my granddaughter named after me. And you know, it's not even something I even thought about. But boy, what an honor. And uh, I love my kids. I love life. I am so grateful, just so grateful. And this last year, you know, God... I was thinking of the sunlight, the spirit, this morning. And the sunlight... Um, sometimes you have the dark. Sometimes you have the clouds. And sometimes they get black, black. But that sunlight is always there. If we stay in the program and work these steps... My sponsor says sometimes I don't know what to work the steps on. she says, well, whatever you're gathering the posse on... <laughs> <laughs> and you know how many times I've worked it on my husband? <laughs> Let me tell you. That man, we've been married 33 years, and there's never been a day that he has not made me feel special. And I'm going to tell you, he works his program, program, and I work mine. And he may have a Mickey Mouse program, but it's his. <laughs> And I love step 12, giving it away. Because you know what? These ladies do keep me straight. (laughs) Uh, I could go on and on. But I I read the Daily Reflections today, and I thought, oh my gosh, how appropriate. So I'm going to read it to you, just in case. Says, a new life. Yes, there is a substitute, and it, vastly, it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Life will mean something at last. That's Alcoholics Anonymous, page 152. Life is better with alcohol, without alcohol. <laughs> For a while, it was better with it. <laughs> <laughs> AA and the presence of a higher power keeps me sober, but the grace of God does even better. It brings service into my life. Contact with the AA program teaches me a new and greater understanding of what Alcoholics Anonymous is and what it does, but most importantly, it helps to show me who I am, an alcoholic who needs the constant experience of the Alcoholics Anonymous program so that I may live a life given to me by my higher power. I want to thank you so much.